Hey, everybody. Welcome to Take the Stage, the Opera Podcast. We just recorded this episode, and I literally feel chills up and down my spine. Our guest today has both of us on the verge of tears because she speaks from the heart and she speaks the truth. In this episode, you are going to feel empowered to be brave, not (laughs) only in your singing, but in your life. You will learn how to give yourself permission to make your own choices. You may, like us, go through several different emotions during this episode, but be ready to come out feeling ready to share your art. Is everyone saying no to your singing career? Well, we here at Take the Stage Opera Podcast say toy, toy, toy. Find out what is holding you back so you can stop waiting in the wings and go out and get your standing ovation. There are no forbidden topics here, so get your ticket and find your seat. In Boca Lupo. Thank you for joining us today, everyone. I'm your host, Mariah Wilcox, and here with me is my co-host, Evan Dunn. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. (laughs) I just finished my kind of early morning practice session. Yes, your practice sessions are always early morning. And I'm not really sure... I mean, I know why I practice early in the morning. It's because I have, you know, I teach a lot of students and, and you're I tired want to be by fresh. The end of the day. Right. But uh, I'm trying to get my voice going in the morning. It's something else. That's that's rough. <laughs> I never sing before noon. I have heard that it's easier for baritones than for sopranos, though. Really? Yeah. I don't know if that's really true. Maybe sopranos just I'll lie and they say that it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We would never. <laughs> We would never. Sopranos are never dramatic. Ever. We're the least dramatic. I think mezzos are the most dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am super excited today to introduce um, our guest. It's the incredible Scottish mezzo-soprano Karen Cargill. Hey, Karen. Hey, you guys. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me on. And I have to say, it's easier for lower voices to warm up in the morning. Yeah, for sure. But... (laughs) I still, I like to be uber dramatic and I don't like to sing before midday because, you know, like if I can get away with it. Yes. Yes. You know, it's kind of just part of the job. Like I kind of want to do what I want and I want to be dramatic about it. So take that world. (laughs) This is really important. My family. Yes. My family always gets on to me for being super dramatic, but I'm just like, no, these are my real feelings. I'm not being dramatic. Like, this is actually how I feel. And they're like, no, calm down. I get, I honestly, my way to deal with emotion, every emotion is crying in my life. Crying. Yes. And my mom, you know, my mom would always be like, why are you so dramatic? I'm like, don't you understand? (laughs) I am a conduit for emotion. I have to cry. I have to cry. Yeah. Yes. You know. Evan just said yesterday that he wishes he was like his three-year-old and could just cry 18 times a day. Yeah, that's a different type of crying though, Evan. I feel your pain. (laughs) I feel your pain with that, you know. Yeah. That's when they're crying when they can't eat food out of the garbage can or like <laughs> you know they want to be naked in the snow or like yes. you know, mm-hmm. don't we all <laughs> you've been a parent then Karen I have yeah I have a 12 year old so I'm past all of that we're going into now the crying because you know like there are feelings involved 
There's emotions. Yes. Or you took the cell phone away. Yeah, you took the cell phone away or the Xbox away or, you know, there's a <laughs> curfew or like that kind of crying. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, but now adults all around the world have curfews sometimes from their government. And now we all are crying about it. That's right. That's right. Are we? <laughs> You just snuggle into bed. You go to bed um, at 10 a.m., 10 p.m. every bed early, so <laughs> yeah. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's me too. Plus, let's all just stay safe. Yeah, yes. exactly. Wear a mask, people. Wear a mask. It's just a oh my God. tiny thing to offer to the world. Wear a mask. Yes. <laughs> yes. Totally. Exactly. Yeah, so Karen Cargill has sung for the Metropolitan Opera, Royal Opera at Covent Garden, the Deutsche Oper Berlin, and she has sung with top orchestras and directors around the world. And she was also a 2002 Kathleen Carrier <gasps> Award recipient. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I like oh to keep secrets from you, Mariah. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny when people when people read your biography, you find yourself going, "Did I really do that? Did I do that? <laughs> oh God, I guess I did." And my husband, he has all of the concerts. Like he has a program from everything I've ever done. So I guess oh. you know when I retire, I'll have one day where I just look through it all, and then I'll put it on the bonfire, <laughs> and be like, you know, that was what I did. That was then. You that know? was a good life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Exactly. I love it. Yeah, yeah. You mean one day you'll just move on and you're, yeah. you'll have a different life? Yeah. I've always been one of those singers that's been like, I'm so grateful for the job that I do. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm really philosophical about it because I think nothing, as this whole pandemic has proven, nothing in life is for certain, right? And so we can't take anything in life for certain. Or, or for granted. And so a career in music is a blessing. It's one that we fight hard for. We work really hard for. But it could change on a dime, right? And so you've got yes. to think, what what am I beyond that? What, what do yeah. I see for myself beyond that? So I've always sort of tried to be as philosophical as possible and think, well, what other things would I have to offer, you know? So, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, so I'd love we to should be, all be doing I'd that. love to be a therapist, like go into psychotherapy, especially for musicians and artists, dancers, yes. creatives. Yes. Like that's where I'd love to go maybe when oh. I retire. Um I've been thinking about that a lot during this COVID time. Like, is it the time to do yeah. that now and bow out from singing? Um but the drug <gasps> No, no, Karen, the, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> the drug is still there. The drug is still there. I can still feel the addiction. Yeah. So, um, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we still need your voice oh, singing you. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have had the pleasure of being able to work with Karen several times. And right from the beginning, I just knew that you were an amazing person, an amazing human being. In my first lesson with her, she said something to me that has really stuck with me and inspired me. She told me to be brave in my singing. And that hit me really hard because I am I don't consider myself a brave person and I always just like take the path that I know is going to work. Um but she has really inspired me to like be brave and reach out and just do things that are out of my comfort zone. That's really cool and and important, not just as a singer, but I feel like... In life. You know, in life. Yes, it's definitely something that I'm working on. So our listeners out there, we, 
you may or may not hear violins today, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, some violins down the hall we, started playing. We're recording in a different location. Yes, than usual. And you know what? We're musicians. It's we can background deal with music. It. Exactly. It's all good. It's all good. We can critique them as part of the 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 podcast. You know, it could be like or just harmonize with them. Yeah, yes. we could we could do some jazz, or it could be like dancing with the stars. You know. <laughs> We could make Perfect. it like that too. The most exciting <laughs> episode yet. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so, Karen, I would really love to dive into what being brave means to you, but I would like to first start off just by asking you why and how you got into opera. Okay, so let's do the life story bit first because it's kind of fun, I suppose. Um, so, when I was like <laughs> two and a half, three, I would sing around the house all the time. So neither of my parents were musicians. My dad's a plumber. My mom used to be a, a clerk in a bank. Um, oh, wow. And so I used to sing all the time, but I used to sing Beatles. Um, I used to sing ABBA songs. Like, yes. Uh, oh, that's my favorite. Blondie, like um, Heart of Glass I used to sing really well. So they have tapes of me singing all this stuff. Um, and my aunt said to my mum, I think she likes to sing, you should send her for lessons when <laughs> she can, you know. And so there was a lady yeah. in my local town in northeast Scotland, up near Aberdeen on the east coast, uh, who taught music lessons, taught singing. Um, and there was a local music festival. And so when I was nine, I went to her. And she charged me 50 pence an hour. So I think, what's that, like 75 cents an hour? Oh, yeah, yeah. My God. And she charged me that until I was 18 and I left her. Like, she never changed wow. how much she charged me. And so I went for her to her for lessons. And we just did, like, folk songs and stuff. You know, there's a big Scottish folk song mm -hmm. heritage and stuff. Yeah. So we did all of that kind of stuff. And I competed in a local music festival and suddenly realized, oh, I'm quite good at this I quite enjoy it I loved True, how it yeah. made me feel when I sang you know and like yeah. mm -hmm. the energy it created and how free I felt so yeah from then on I decided I wanted to do something in music I also played in a brass band at that time so it was kind of like in between which one do I want to do <laughs> you know um, oh, fun. but she had in her music studio she had a stack of long play records and oh. so she had original like the, the 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 you know the box sets of like lps of operas and when wow. she used to go for a sneaky cigarette break which i'm sure it was that she had <laughs> um i would go over and have a look at these lps these records and there was a picture of a woman on the front of this lp and it's burned into my memory and she was so exotic uh. and so, like, her skin just was the most, it was like butter. And she had yeah. chopsticks in her hair and she had this makeup on. And, of course, it was <laughs> it was Carla singing Butterfly. Yeah. And I remember yes. thinking, I don't know what that is, but that looks so amazing. I want to do that. Yes. <laughs> you know but still even until I was about 16 I still didn't know what opera was it wasn't until I did mm -hmm. my exams at high school 
And then I discovered who Maria Callas was and what it was that she did. But I still didn't know what that meant to, to have a, sure. a, right. a career, yeah. right? You know, I come from a small yeah. town. I had no, no experience of this. And uh, then I applied to what's now called the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, which is in Glasgow. And I was accepted at 17. So I came here, moved down here to the big city wow. at 17, which was a huge culture shock. And, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. And then I started to study and I had many moments of thinking, oh, my God, I can't do this. Like, this is not my I don't belong here, you know, which is a musician's life. Right. You yeah. know, I don't yes. belong here. Imposter, imposter syndrome, the whole thing. Yes. Imposter syndrome. Oh, you know, but I I studied there and as my voice developed, it, it became quite obvious that I could do something in opera and so it just started from there I never had any set plans of what I wanted to do I just wanted to make music for a living so if that meant teaching music or or teaching singing or you know whatever music therapy however it presented itself I was I was quite happy to do that yeah that's so healthy (laughs) yeah it really is you know so Karen Mm. You mentioned as a kid that singing made you feel so free Mm. and you liked the way that you felt. Is that something that's continued with you? Has that changed? Have there been times where singing didn't feel that way? Most definitely. I would say, look, as all of us who've studied singing in a real serious way in tertiary education, like, you know, we all go to undergraduate and we, we go into these systems where they're so keen to protect a young voice and to help you sculpt a young sound and to help you gain experience and repertoire and stuff. But I felt very hemmed in. I wasn't supported. Yeah. I was told I would never have a career. I was told that, you know, for instance, I was, oh my gosh. I was too overweight to have a career or I was too, my voice wasn't big enough or all of these things. But I think I have such a strong sense of self and I, because I was brought up in an environment that didn't know what a career in the arts looked like, I could create my own path. Oh mm. my goodness, that's so right? cool. That's amazing. And so my teacher at that point said to me, you know, um, you have to wear, you know when horses wear blinkers? Mm-hmm. You know, when they're doing long journeys and they wear blinkers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She said to me, I think I was about 19, and she said, Karen, you just have to wear blinkers and stay focused on your own path. If you stay focused to your own development as a human being, not only as a musician, the path will become self-evident. And so it did, really, you know. And so then I was offered an exchange programme to Canada that came just at the right time when I was starting to not feel really like I was developing any further in Glasgow. And so I went to University sure. of Toronto for a year. And so I did lots of pedagogy and like IPA courses and just exposed myself mm. to a different style, you know, different style of teaching. And I met my now husband there, uh, which oh, was, wow. yeah, which was really awesome. So that was, you know, it was a, it was more, a, it was like a year out almost, you know, in a way. Um, yeah. And then I was offered a full scholarship to come back to Glasgow and do opera school. And, and it then took off from there. So what I always say to young singers is don't be afraid to explore. 
as soon as we close doors off, that's when our create part of our creative brain dies. Because you you're not exposing yourself to absolutely everything that you can. You know, when I was a student, I used to go to saxophone masterclasses and brass masterclasses because I was a brass mm. player and drama things. And, you know, they now have dance there as well, which I think is so informative to a student's experience. Yeah. You know, even to a flautist, to, to, to give them an idea of what it takes to walk onto a stage, to own that stage. Go and watch dancers dance. Yeah, seriously. From the second yeah. their energy enters the room, they're there. You know right. they're there. And they're there to serve you. They're there to give you something. So we can learn from all of that. So that's been my journey, really. Um, in a sort of nutshell, it's not been without its hardships. It's been, you know, as we all now talk about more openly than we've ever talked about Mental health has been up and down, mm -hmm. you know, but I've always been quite open about uh, sharing that with people that want to talk about it and sharing about the fact that we have to talk about it, especially as musicians who wear our heart on our sleeve. The best ones yes. share. They share. If they're having a bad day and they're singing Do Best of Iona Bluma, you can hear the love there, but you can also hear the pain that it sometimes causes to get there. And that's real art to me. That's real. Yes. Yes, I agree. Mm. So can we talk about some of those ups and downs for you? Mm. Um, maybe what caused some of that? What were some of your... Yeah, so my, my uh, head of department when I was an undergraduate was really not very supportive at all didn't think I had a, a potential for a career I was always you know I'd go into performance class and I'd come out basically in a pile on the floor because I just oh yeah because my confidence was just completely shot you know um my languages were never good enough this was never good enough that was never good enough and I yes I do think sometimes reverse psychology works does it work in the arts not really I don't think Mm. I don't subscribe to that. As Mariah will tell you, when I'm in a session with a singer, I want to empower you as much as I can yeah. to know your own strength, know your own worth. And I can tell you technically where to try something, but at the end of the day, you are the one that drives your car, not me. I don't have to stand yeah. up there and do it. You stand up there and do it. And teaching Mariah, for instance, has been a joy because she's one of those people that I'll say, <laughs> try this and try this, and she'll try it and she'll go, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> but the fact is she gets it straight away and she's not going back to that thing about being brave. You've never been someone that I found actually didn't wasn't brave because everything I've asked you to try, you've tried. Being brave yeah. for you then is taking it out of that room, you know, or sure. finding your own pathway to find in that space again, you know. And with the advent of Zoom and us using Zoom and recording lessons and stuff, it's amazing because you can go back and watch and you can see, okay, this is what she was talking mm -hmm. about. Okay, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember uh, doing a prom, a BBC prom. So we have the BBC proms here. Mm -hmm. yeah. in in the UK um and 
Christine Brewer and I were getting ready to go on and do the scene from Götter Dämmerung that I've now done a lot. But it was the first time I had ever done it. First time I had ever done oh, it. Wow. And uh, the rehearsal process was a nightmare. Like I was vomiting all the time. All the time. Oh my gosh. I would have panic because attacks. Because of stress. Yeah. I would have panic attacks that would then like basically make me vomit all the time. So right before we went on stage, I was sick, you know, and like it, it, I'm one of those people that, you know, I think is sort of the work ethic that was sort of put into me with, from my parents was, you know, there's nothing so great that you can't try and overcome it. Right. So when I would call him from the conservatoire and call my dad, mum and dad and be like, I can't do this. I'm not supposed to be here. They would say, take a deep breath, go and sit 10 minutes, just go and sit for 10 minutes and relax. And remember you are there because they asked you to be there. Yeah. They didn't ask you to come here to fail. They asked you to come because they wanted to see what you were capable of. And I guess that's what's taken me forward in my career is that that thing in the back of my head. Yeah, it can be really bad sometimes. I had a terrible time with um, Kurt Mazur. I had an absolutely awful time where... I, I, he was just so rude to me and screamed at me in front of the orchestra and chorus, which he was notorious for. Um, and he would always pick on someone young and I was just out of university and, you know, and, and he screamed and screamed at me for two days. I had a broken foot. Um, so it was oh my gosh. all going on. The yes. soprano soloist was whispering under her breath, like, you know, move your pen in your book. It's okay. You know, it's okay. She completely had my back. Yeah. And then eventually I just, I went up to him at the end of the session and I said, maestro, neither of us seems to be communicating on a way that the other one understands. So can we have 10 minutes where we just talk to one another? And he held my hand and he said, just sing because it was gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) To which I was like, I've been through days and days of stress and you... And so that was the first time this maestro complex, like all working out all of that and how that all works, you know, and I I kind of convinced myself after that I wasn't going to do a career in music because I was terrified. It was my professional debut at the proms. And, uh, you know, like there was just so much going on, but I overcame it. I did. And, you know, I was always afraid of conductors after that for, for a long time. And so... But then I got through all of that. You know, there's nothing... Look, there are things in life that are insurmountable, for sure. But in a career in the arts, you can learn to reframe things. And that's a big thing I say to my students all the time. How can we reframe this for you to make this more in your control than in someone else's control? So like changing the thought, changing the dialogue so that it's beneficial for you. Exactly. Reframe it. Reframe it. So if you go into a performance class and you're terrified, go in and think, what's the one thing that I want to get out of this today that's not connected to an emotional place with the person that's given the class? What is it for you individually you want to get out of that class? Is it that you want to sing the song off copy? Is it that you want to have a perfect a vowel? And we'll get on to the subject of perfection 
after this. As Mariah knows, this is one of my big bugbears. Right? Do you want to sing a good avowal? Is it that you want to make sure that you're always connected to your body? Do you feel, is it because you want to feel like, you know, you've got a good rapport with the pianist? Like, change the dialogue, you know? Change the dialogue and make it about something that can be positive for you. And then even if you, you know, you have, you maybe you accomplish your goal, but something else goes bad, you can hold on to that. Or maybe you don't accomplish your goal and you can say, that was my goal. I can focus can on, that. on that. I can, yeah. you know, that's amazing. Yeah. Or how, you know, I, that was my goal and I didn't quite achieve it. What was the thing that I felt was a, 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 a you know, like a, a barrier for me there? And how can I work on removing that barrier or changing it or being able to jump over it or whatever? It's just about changing the narrative. And so that then leads on to this narrative of perfection, which drives me absolutely insane. Life. Oh, we yes. are ready. Oh, Let's talk about God. perfection. You know, life, <laughs> life is not perfect. Life is not perfect. Nothing about life is so perfect. So why should we be? So why should we be? Why should art be perfect? In fact, I always say in the moments that are, when you're, when you're striving to get to perfection, that's where that good art lies, not at the top. The mm. struggle is where the good art lies because that's where Ugh. you're more in touch with what it is that you're trying to achieve. The struggle is where the good art is. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. yeah. That's, that's, where, that's where you move people. That's where I'm moved by, by, by musicians where you can see how much it means to them, how much it resonates with them, not just some perfect technical exercise that they're going to share with you on a screen or on a CD. Look, we all love to listen to CDs and, you know, I, yeah, I mean, it's a lovely thing to be able to record. But to me, the ultimate is to be with someone who you feel takes you by the hand and says... Come and sit next to me. I'm going to sing these songs to you. Now, they're Wagner, so they're quite loud, but they're really <laughs> nice. You know? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so don't don't strive perf- for perfection. Strive for creation and strive to sculpt and mould and to be, to, to, to express yourself. That's what I'm interested in. People that use their voice to really express themselves, not what their teacher has told them is the perfect, you know, right. formant or, you know, like, you know, all of that. Yeah. I'm not interested in that because at the end of the day, as much as all of that's so important and we have to learn all of that, that's not going to help you when you've got a head cold and you're singing Queen of the Night. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right? Yeah. You know, so we have yes. to, to we have to turn it into to who we are, who we are as people. And so, you know, yeah, I'm you, Mariah knows I'm a I'm a well of all of these <laughs> things about, you know, but it's taken me 20 years in the profession to get to that point. Right. You know, and to yeah. realize the power is within us. It's not anywhere else. 
And permission, don't ask for permission from anyone else but yourself. Your coaches and teachers and, and, and language coaches and movement specialists and all of these people who give us such valuable information, they're not there for you to, for you to just do their perfect version. They're giving you their knowledge so that you can then take it on for yourself and create your version. But we're not told that right. in education. <laughs> right. Because and it's it's you know, it's important because we have to tick the boxes in order to to, to get our degree, to get our right. undergraduate, yes. to get our postgraduate. That's so important. But the art still has to be there. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> Evan, you look like you're like wow. <laughs> You're changing his life. I need. I told you she's amazing. This happens to me all the time when, like, my wife will ask a question and I'll sit in silence. It drives her crazy. (laughs) I've seen this happen. And I'm like letting this soak in. Oh, you just asked me this interesting question. And I'm not good for podcasting because I should jump in and say something super interesting. But instead, I'm like, Karen just changed my life. I just love it. It just like just chills all up and down thinking about, you know, sometimes I feel threatened by addiction coach or I feel threatened, you know, because it's like I just I feel like I can't measure up. But instead, I love how you said just just take the information that they're giving you because it's valuable and then just make it your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you don't have to ask permission from anyone you don't ask permission yes. how to eat your breakfast cereal in the morning. I mean, sometimes you have to, you know, if there's only enough for one bowl of cereal and there's going to be <laughs> a fight as to who gets it, right? But we, <laughs> life is about choice. Life is about choice. And we are lucky that we live in a society that mainly, it has to be said, not all the time, but <laughs> mainly gives us choice. Um, and so why should we not embrace that? We have to embrace that. And singing is about your instrument, only your instrument telling the story that you're there to say that day. Right. And that story might be different. So again, going back to Do Best Vienna Bloomer, I use this all the time. You sing Do Best Vienna Bloomer one day, everything is rosy, it's gorgeous, you had a full night of sleep, you wake up, you feel amazing, the sun is shining, you go and you sing, your voice is working, you think, this is amazing. The next day, you've had an argument with your partner, you smashed uh, your favourite mug in the kitchen sink, you go to warm up, your voice isn't working the way you want it to, so when you sing Do Best Vienna Bloomer, it's not as easy. Does it mean it's any less valuable? No. It shows you that that is who you are that day. And do best Vienna Bloomer needs to have the whole technicolor rainbow so that we can sing it differently one day to the next. And the only person who can give your, yourself permission to do that is you. Yeah. You know, like you have to stand up and say, 
I feel imperfect and I feel stressed and I feel tension, but I'm here and I'm going to do my thing. I feel vulnerable and I'm going to let you into the vulnerability in my sound. That's when the hair on the back of people's neck will stand up because you've allowed them into the vulnerability in your sound. And that is where real art is. <laughs> and we hate that. We hate being vulnerable, but yeah. that is really what we sh- should strive. Absolutely. And that is being brave. That is being brave. Exactly. <laughs> That's being brave. I really, when you said that to me, I like went, I went home. I mean, I was already home because it was on Zoom, but I went and like made artwork with it. It like really Good. like touched me. Good. I really loved it. So Karen, all throughout our careers, you know, we've got these people giving us their opinions, all these things we never measure up. I mean, you mentioned briefly earlier that you weren't, you didn't have a big enough voice or you, you weren't the right size. And, you know, everyone's always telling us our weakness. And sometimes we address those. Sometimes we address them fruitlessly. (laughs) Sometimes we put them on the back burner. Sometimes they're really not that important, but we'd like to hear if there's, you know, what's kind of been that one thing for you where you felt like you, you didn't measure up and how did you face it? So I would say wait, because it's such, I mean, it's just such a, a, a point of frustration for so many people in our industry yes and this whole thing of we have to look a certain way we have to sing a certain way but we have to be marketable in a certain way and it's almost like that thing of you know like hollywood movie stars you know where like you know the mum is always played by like someone who's like 50 you know you'll never see someone you know we're starting to see it a little bit now but like you know, women are never allowed to play their actual age. It's always given to somebody yes. younger so that's because some somebody somewhere has decided what's palatable. You know, so you're basically <laughs> telling people, okay, so if you're over a size, you know, I don't know, over a size 16 or something, right? You're not lovable or you're not, you know, you're not worth having a friendship with or you're not, you can't be queen or you can't be... It just, it drives me absolutely insane. So I had a very, very real experience with this. Um, I mean, I've been told by teachers, coaches, you name it, all of them through my whole career, you know, you need to lose a few pounds because you'll be more employable. And I think part of me has just been like, yeah, I'm sure I could be. But hey, I kind of actually quite like myself. And I'm not going to turn mm-hmm. myself into some, like, you know, diet person, diet crazed yes. person because you've told me to be, you know. And again, that goes back to the strong sense of self. Now, you know, my mum was someone who always went on about weight too. So I think it's been a, it's been a, a long, long process for me. Um, but uh, I would say... So the- one occasion that I was offered a job <clears throat> um, that I had already done. It was in France for a prestigious festival there. And we had done a tour. It had gone extremely well. They wanted to do it again. And 
so I went to my agent and I said, okay, but they're going to do a ring cycle and I would like to audition for one of the Valkyries. And we got some feedback that said she doesn't look right for the main stage. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my agent, she's Scottish too. So she knows when I say no to something, that's it. Absolutely not. So she came back <laughs> and she, she told me and she's like, okay, so this is what they said. And I said, okay. And she said, but they want you to come back and do Dido and Aeneas again. And I said, absolutely not. And she said, oh, okay, are you sure? And I said, yeah. Because if they're not going to respect me by giving me some airtime for something else, then yeah. no. Frankly, I'd rather get a job in CVS. <laughs> right? You know, like, it's okay. Yes. It's okay. I am not going to allow someone else to determine who I am as a person by what their aesthetic is. You know? So she went back. She said she's not going to come back. They came back two weeks later and said she doesn't have to come till the dress rehearsal. We'll pay her more money. She doesn't have to do this, that, you know, X, Y, Z. And I still said no. <laughs> because I love yeah, you for that. I just thought, you know what? You cannot treat human beings like that. Now, for sure, have I lost out on work? For sure I have. Could I have been married to Brad Pitt? Maybe I could have. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> who's to say my life has gone the way that it's gone because that's what the universe had in store for me. Am I happily married with a child and have I done lots of awesome things? Yes. Is there anything that I have missed out on? Not that I know of. Because I've never set that goal for myself of, I need to be able to do this thing by this time. You know? It's not to say that that's a bad thing, but it's, you know, because some people need to live their life like that. You know? I think for a career in the arts, a strong sense of self is probably the most important thing we can do for ourselves. It's the most valuable, valuable, can't even talk now, valuable lesson that you can do for yourself. Spend some time and think, you know, what is it I want to do? Where do I want to be? What does my heart tell me I need to do? You know? And is that feasible? Is it feasible? You know, I always said to my husband, if, you know, my career doesn't take off by the time I'm 35, 40, I'll go and do something else. You know? And through this COVID time now, have I asked myself questions of, do I want to go back on the road again? Yes, for sure. Do I want to go back on the road? I'm not sure I do. You know, because I've been able to be at home with my husband and my son. And Nick and I have been married for 20 years and I haven't been at home in 20 years. You know, and so it's, it's, it's being okay, giving yourself permission. And so, yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest one, Evan, you know, um, is just realising that, look, as much as people are going to knock you down, and they will, there will be those that build you up and there will be those that believe in you and know that you can do it. And those are the voices 
shut out the noise, allow in the music. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> we have two just like fun questions for you. Oh. Um, we wanted to know if you have a book that you would recommend that people read. It doesn't have to be music at all. Just something that has maybe changed your life in some sort of way. There are so many, actually, when I think about <laughs> it. The Michelle Obama book, actually, recently was one that really... Really? Yeah, I loved that. I loved that. And I have a book that my husband gave me that's um, Oprah Winfrey quotes that I have by oh, my cool. nightstand <laughs> that I so love. Fun. I absolutely love. Anything by um, Paolo Coelho, oh, awesome, yes. you know. Um Oh, yeah, I don't know. And the Celestine Prophecy, bizarrely. I, I don't know that one. Okay, so back yeah. in 2000, like it was all the rage, you know, everybody was reading the Celestine Prophecy. <laughs> and that was really important when I met my husband because he was in a relationship with someone else and I knew I was so confused about this guy. And I really was <laughs> in this place of like, what's going to happen? Like, this is so weird. And I, through reading Celestine Prophecy, I kind of realised, like, the universe, it'll do what it does for you. It'll do its thing. When you get too involved and you try and move off course, that's when things go a little weird, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah. Those are great. <laughs> I'm excited to look at those. And what is your dream role, Karen? Is there something you haven't sung that you're like, no, actually, I just want to stay home now. But <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I've already done all my dream roles. No, there is one still, still. And it's been brought up a few times and then with COVID, I don't know, and blah, blah, blah. Didon and the Trojans. Because yeah. oh, wow. I, I sang Anna next to Susie Graham when we did it at the Met. And, and like... It's just, it's just a, a dream, dream, yes. dream piece, <sighs> you know. Um, and I suppose I would like to do Carmen too. I would, I would like to do Carmen too. Oh, you fun. know, yes. yeah. Yes. I was lucky Absolutely. two seasons ago. One of the ones that was on my dream list was Memory in Dialogue of the Carmelites, and I got yes. to do that in the the John Dexter production at the Met. Them, yeah. And it yeah. was like that experience was one of the most amazing Ugh. things because it was all working mums and we just right, had yeah. the best time and <laughs> it was so fun like everyone was coming in and they're like oh my kids didn't sleep last night and it felt like <laughs> it was just a community of really cool people yeah you know and everyone so, understood everyone yeah they really did so yeah so I was lucky to be able to do that but yeah those those two, I would say for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Karen. Oh, you're you so really welcome. The you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk to you guys all day. It's so fun. So for everybody listening, just remember you're strong, you're beautiful, you're capable, you're creative. We need you to keep working and and being your very best self because your art will change the world. So with that, stop waiting in the wings. Keep singing, my friends. In Boca Lupo. Thank you for listening to another episode of Take the Stage Opera Podcast. We love hearing from you. So please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and give us a review. It helps us to continue delivering quality material. 